This is the Lindell Report, bringing you news combined with hope by offering practical and achievable action points to assist you in defending and preserving faith and freedoms. And now, here is your host, Mike Lindell. Good evening and welcome to the Lindell Report. I'm Brandon House in for Mike Lindell who is traveling on business tonight. And I want to bring to you a special presentation that Mike asked me to play for you tonight. It's a lot of historical video clips detailing the hacking of our voting machines. Uh, I watched some of it this afternoon. Quite interesting, all the people that have talked about the dangers of our voting systems and the voting machines and their vulnerabilities to being hacked. And so we're gonna play this. It's an hour and seven minutes. We won't get through the whole hour and seven minutes, obviously, but we're gonna play several minutes, you know, a, close to an hour of it, because I'm gonna turn this thing right over to uh, Logan to play just in a second here. So we'll get through as much of it as we can. Don't forget, tomorrow night, Mike Lindell will be speaking in Houston, Texas with the Attorney General of Texas, Ken Paxton. We'll be carrying it right here. I'll anchor it from the news desk. We're sending a cameraman there and we'll have it for you tomorrow evening live here on Lindell TV. We'll also be covering, I'll be anchoring from the news desk, another item, and that is the Trump rally in uh, Michigan. So I'll cover that from the news desk tomorrow as well. It's a busy news day here on a Saturday, April 2nd, 2022 at Lindell TV. If you appreciate all we're doing here at Lindell TV, and trust you me, it is expensive. We just sent off again the satellite truck, as I just told you, to Michigan. Thousands of dollars to do that. Sending a cameraman to Houston to cover that, that's again very expensive. To be a full television organization and news division is not cheap. And folks, we absolutely need your support. Please, I know we often ask you, but it is vital that you help spread the word about promoting Lindell TV. And it's also vital that you ask your family and friends, look, shop with us. Over 110 products at MyPillow.com. Over 110 products at MyPillow.com. Sheets, dog beds, pet beds, pet blankets, towels, slippers, so much more. MyPillow.com. Use that promo code L77 to save up to 66% and a generous portion comes back to keep this network going. Thank you so much for your support. So without delay, let's go to a video presentation that Mike himself called and said, hey, Brandon, play this during my show tonight, will you? And so here we are. Mike wanted you to see this. Watch this. I know America's voting machines are vulnerable because my colleagues and I have hacked them repeatedly. We've created attacks that can spread from machine to machine like a computer virus and silently change election outcomes. And in every single case, we've found ways for attackers to sabotage machines and to steal votes. Across the country, there are about 52 different models of machines. They, they fall into essentially two styles, ones that scan a piece of paper or ones where the, vote, uh, the voter just interacts with the touch screen. And many of them have been analyzed now by researchers uh, looking for security vulnerabilities. In every single case where a US voting machine has been analyzed by, by competent security researchers, they have found vulnerabilities that would let someone inject malicious software and change election data. Every single case. The better or the more efficient way of hacking machines would be to subvert them all through the machine that's used to actually program those machines. So prior to each election, uh, the county election office or the voting machine vendor 
will actually program memory cards for that election. It tells the machine who are the candidates, what are the um, you know the 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 contests being decided, um, and that gets inserted into the voting machine. If you can alter, if you can subvert that machine that is used to program those memory cards, then you can pass uh, rogue software to the voting machine. Voting machines are not connected to the internet. This is something that you hear all the time in the U.S. from election officials. Um, Unfortunately, it's not actually true. Um, in many new voting machines come with um, uh, 4G wireless modems so that they can be connected to the internet from the polling place in order to upload the results faster. Now, to me, that sounds crazy. Uh, why would you want to put your voting machines on the internet right in the middle of the election, potentially at the most vulnerable time? Studies conducted in 2007 by the state of California, state of Ohio, state of Florida found security vulnerabilities that could take advantage of these to engineer viruses where one compromised voting machine could then infect eventually the entire fleet of machines for an entire county. Typically at the end of the election day you move a memory card through each of the machines in the precinct and that's to collect the vote totals. That process can spread a virus and there are other processes. The details vary from machine to machine. When you say hacked, what were they able to do once they gained access to the machines? Oh, all sorts of things. They could uh, manipulate uh, the outcome of the vote, they could manipulate the tally, uh, they could delete the tally, um, and, and they could compromise the vote in any number of ways. Uh, the machines used in Georgia have been demonstrated to be hackable through a virus that's carried on ballot definition cartridges, very much like the Stuxnet virus was uh, inserted into uh, nuclear centrifuges in Iran. There are a number of states that outsource their reporting of elections to third parties, some of which are corporations based in other countries like Spain. Um, so you've got to trust that the aggregation of the votes and the reporting of the votes is, is, uh, is accurate as well. I'm pretty sure my undergrad computer security class at Michigan could have changed the outcome of the 2016 Michigan election if we wanted to. It, it is that bad. And we have a combination of very powerful adversaries and unfortunately quite vulnerable and obsolete systems. That's, that's why I say it's only a matter of time. Unfortunately, in a lot of these systems, the audit trails are just as vulnerable as the other aspects of the system. So there may not be good forensic evidence of a successful um, intrusion. With the current design, we cannot be universally confident that it hasn't happened. Um, and it's probably only a matter of time before it will. I come here today as a computer scientist who spent the better part of the last quarter century studying uh, election system security. Uh, as you're well aware, the integrity of elections across the US depends heavily on the integrity of computers and software systems. Unfortunately, much of this infrastructure has proven dangerously vulnerable to tampering and attack, and in some cases, in ways that cannot be easily detected or corrected uh, after the fact. Uh, these vulnerabilities can create practical avenues for um, corrupt uh, candidates or foreign adversaries to do everything from cause large-scale disruption on election day to potentially uh, undetectably alter uh, election outcomes in some cases. So let me begin with the voting equipment itself. Uh, to be blunt, uh, it's a widely recognized, really indisputable fact that every piece of computerized voting equipment in use at polling places today can be easily compromised um, in ways that have the potential to disrupt election um, operations, compromise firmware and software, uh, potentially alter uh, vote tallies in the absence of 
uh, other safeguards. Uh, this is partly a consequence of historically poor design and implementation by equipment vendors, um, but it's ultimately uh, a reflection of the nature of complex software. It's simply beyond the state of the art uh, to build software systems that can reliably withstand targeted attack by a determined adversary in this kind of an environment. Uh, the vulnerabilities are real, they're serious, and absent a surprising and very fundamental breakthrough in my field, which I would welcome, but I don't see coming um, soon, probably inevitable. Uh, we give most of the attention to vulnerabilities in voting machines, but that's not the whole story. Each of the more than 5,000 jurisdictions responsible for running elections across the nation must maintain a number of critical information systems that are attractive targets for disruption by adversaries. Most important of these are voter registration databases, um, the systems that report uh, final results, uh, and so forth. Um, Unfortunately, there are even fewer standards for how to secure these systems. The administration of these systems varies widely, and the threats against these systems are often even more uh, acute than the threats against individual voting systems. Um, you know, just as we don't expect the local sheriff to single-handedly defend against military ground invasions, we shouldn't expect county election IT managers to defend against cyber attacks by foreign intelligence services, but that's precisely what we've been asking them uh, to do. I'm a professor of computer science and have spent the last 10 years studying the electronic voting systems that our nation relies on. My conclusion from that work is that our highly computerized election infrastructure is vulnerable to sabotage and even to cyber attacks that could change votes. These realities risk making our election results more difficult for the American people to trust. I know America's voting machines are vulnerable because my colleagues and I have hacked them repeatedly as part of a decade of research studying the technology that operates elections and learning how to make it stronger. We've created attacks that can spread from machine to machine like a computer virus and silently change election outcomes. We've studied touchscreen and optical scan systems, and in every single case, we've found ways for attackers to sabotage machines and to steal votes. These capabilities are certainly within reach for America's enemies. As you know, states choose their own voting technology, and while some states are doing well with security, Others are alarmingly vulnerable. This puts the entire nation at risk. In close elections, an attacker can probe the most important swing states or swing counties, find areas with the weakest protection, and strike there. In a close election year, changing a few votes in key uh, localities could be enough to tip national results. The key lesson from 2016 is that these threats are real. Some say the fact that voting machines aren't directly connected to the Internet makes them secure, but unfortunately this is not true. Voting machines are not as distant from the Internet as they may seem. So uh, the way these attacks work is that before every election, every voting machine needs to be programmed with the design of the ballot, the names of the races and candidates. And voting officials do that by inserting a memory card into the machine. If an attacker can infect that memory card with malicious code, well, when the uh, memory card is inserted into the machine, it can change the programming running on the voting machine and cause the voting machine to, at the end of the election, um, 
output whatever results the attacker wants. The machine that I hacked is called the Sequoia AVC Advantage, now called the Dominion AVC Advantage. It's in use in almost all of New Jersey and in all of Louisiana and a few counties of Pennsylvania and other states. The computer program that counts the votes on this machine is in a read-only memory that's mounted in a socket on the motherboard. To hack this machine, you have to remove that memory chip from its socket and install a memory chip uh, on which you've prepared a cheating program. The cheating program that I prepared uh, is, has an extra 100 lines of code, basically, that uh, when the polls are about to close, it uh, goes in there and changes some votes uh, stored in the machine. And there's an electronic log of all votes cast, so it changes the log, too. So to install that, um, the attacker doesn't need to be a computer scientist. The attacker just needs to have a bunch of copies of this memory chip uh, with the fraudulent program on it. And for each voting machine, uh, unscrew 10 screws to remove the panel that covers the motherboard, pry out the ROM chip containing the legitimate program, and install the ROM chip containing the fraudulent program. Other kinds of voting machines store their computer program that counts to votes in flash memory. And this can be updated under the control of whatever computer program happens to be running in the voting machine. These voting machines, typically the generation developed in the 1990s and after, uh, can be hacked without actually physically changing any hardware in the machine just by uh, installing a uh, software upgrade memory card uh, in the same slot that one would normally install the ballot definition. And this particular attack was demonstrated by my colleague at Princeton, Professor Felton, in about 2007, working with two of his graduate students. But it's not just us at Princeton. There are many kinds of voting machines, and the same kinds of hacks are applicable to all voting machines and have been demonstrated at several other universities, including the University of Connecticut, uh, Johns Hopkins, Michigan, and others. There are cybersecurity issues in all parts of our election system. Before the election, voter registration databases. During the election, voting machines. After the election, vote tabulation, canvassing, precinct aggregation computers. Installing new software in a voting machine is not really much different from installing new software in any other kind of computer. Installing new software is how you hack a voting machine to cheat. In 2009, in the courtroom of the Superior Court of New Jersey, I demonstrated how to hack a voting machine. I wrote a vote-stealing computer program that shifts votes from one candidate to another. Installing that vote-stealing program in a voting machine takes seven minutes per machine with a screwdriver. But really, the software I built was not rocket science. Any computer programmer could write the same code. Once it's installed, it could steal elections without detection for years to come. Voting machines are often delivered to polling places several days before the election to elementary schools, churches, firehouses. In these locations, anyone could gain access to a voting machine for 10 minutes. Between elections, the machines are routinely opened up for maintenance by county employees or private contractors. Let's assume they have the utmost integrity. But still, in the US, we try to run our elections so that we can trust the election results without relying on any one individual. Other computer scientists have demonstrated similar hacks on many models of machine. This is not just one glitch in one manufacturer's machine. It's the very nature of computers. So how can we trust our elections when it's so easy to make the computers cheat? Mr. Appel, in that scenario, an attacker would actually have to have access to all 100 in the one county in order to manipulate the records. 
In Georgia, that's not the case. Uh, the machines used in Georgia have been demonstrated to be hackable through a virus that's carried on ballot definition cartridges, very much like the Stuxnet virus was uh, inserted into uh, nuclear centrifuges in Iran. So, uh, and in that audit, but in that auditing system, in the auditing of these machines, we, we look at that. Is that correct? I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? So in uh, those machines that have that vulnerability in the auditing process, isn't that scanned? Don't we scan for that? Um, it's difficult to scan for that vulnerability in the sense of if you ask a machine to report what software is loaded in it, uh, if it's fraudulent software, it will lie. So uh, the AccuVote TS machines uh, used in Georgia and in a few counties in other states are particularly vulnerable to this kind of virus that can be carried to the machines even if the criminal attacker doesn't touch the machines or is not even in the same state with the machines. Um, with parts made all over the world and software made all over the world, and as Sherry said, there's only three or four manufacturers, um, the, the one core point that kind of election security experts and others have been making about why our votes are safe was that the decentralized nature of our uh, voting systems, um, the thousands and thousands of, of uh, voting offices around the country that administer the election is what kept us safe because Russians would need to have tens of thousands of operatives go get physical access to machines to actually um, um, infiltrate the election. We now know that's false and that through a handful of simple attacks um, into manufacturers not in the United States, um, the Russians could plant malware into um, thousands of machines all at once and hack the entire U.S. election without ever leaving the Kremlin. Or is there a different way where you could just hack one machine and that would uh, transmit a bug to other machines in the precinct, again, even though they're not connected to an Internet? Sure. So before we had an Internet, we had computers with floppy drives, mm -hmm. and there were computer viruses that could spread from one computer to another over floppies. Um, electronic voting machines, some of them use uh, memory cards, some of them have these big battery packs, some of them have local area networks. Studies conducted in 2007 by the state of California, state of Ohio, state of Florida found security vulnerabilities that could take advantage of these to engineer viruses where one compromised voting machine could then infect eventually the entire fleet of machines for an entire county. And each of these studies found ways that regular poll workers and election officials going through their standard procedures and, and standard operations could unwittingly be used to transmit viruses from one machine to another. Through the motion, typically at the end of the election day, you move a memory card through each of the machines in the precinct, and that's to collect the vote totals. That process can spread a virus. And there are other processes. The details vary from machine to machine. Okay, so uh, you know, it's accurate to say that just because something's not connected to the internet, it does not have a, vulnerable to a vulnerability to cyber attack. Being disconnected from the internet helps, but it's not a panacea. Okay. When you and your colleagues hacked election systems, did you get caught? We hacked uh, election systems as part of academic research where we had machines in I our get, facilities. I get that. Did you get caught? <laughs> um, did they, did they see your intrusion into their systems? The one instance when I was invited to hack a real voting system while people were watching was in Washington, D.C. in 2010. 
And in that instance, it took less than 48 hours for us to change all the votes, and we were not caught. Vice Chairman. I have sitting in my office right now, actually, um, uh, a deep old AccuVote TSX machine, a touchscreen machine that's still in use in 23 states, uh, where uh, I've hacked it to give whatever outcome I want. It, it really is that easy. And when you're talking about um, when you're talking about these attacks, though, I don't think it's something that you know. Just in every case, a a and uh, uh, a freshman in college could do it. Some states are a little bit better protected, but that's not who we're up against. We're up against nation-state attackers that are among some of the most powerful uh, adversaries in the world when it comes to cyber attacks and which have routinely uh, compromised highly protected sites like, uh, uh, like military installations uh, and large tech companies. Um, I think that's the thing that I, I want voting officials and, and voters to understand is quite what they're up against. And we have a combination of very powerful adversaries and unfortunately quite vulnerable and obsolete systems. That's, that's why I say it's only a matter of time. The standard arguments that uh, our elections can't be hacked in the U.S. are some combination of physical security, you can't get access to the devices, they're not connected to the internet, they're tested before election day, and the system is too decentralized. It's run by you know, a bunch of ind individual election officials in individual counties and, and jurisdictions, so it's, it's, a, it's a hard target. Um, most of this has already been debunked by uh, the previous speakers, but um, physical security is pretty lax. Uh, equipment uh, has sleepovers in school gymnasiums and churches and this and that. Uh, there are lots of uh, examples on the internet of photos of uh, election uh, equipment warehouses where the, the, uh, the election officials warehouses with the door propped open and nobody watching. Um, just, it's just not true. Uh, it isn't true that the machines aren't connected to the internet and even if they weren't connected to the internet they would still be hackable through other means. Um, one of the things that hasn't been mentioned so far yet is supply chain hacks. There are components in these voting systems that come from foreign countries uh, a colleague of ours, Karsten Schurman, at the IT University of Copenhagen, found Chinese pop songs in memory of a voting machine that he bought uh, on the internet. Um, so that those songs somehow made it through the quality control of the election uh, equipment vendor, and then through uh, how many elections that it was actually used in by the local election official, and and you know we're still there. Um, uh, Moreover, uh, there's an issue in reporting, which I'm not going to talk about that much, but there are a number of states that outsource their reporting of elections to third parties, some of which are corporations based in other countries like Spain. Um, so you've got to trust that the aggregation of the votes and the reporting of the votes is, is, uh, is accurate as well. There's a lot of technology being rolled out in this election uh, that had either not been used or not been used as widely before. This includes uh, much more widespread reliance on things like electronic poll books, uh, which become a point of vulnerability that can disenfranchise people if they malfunction, if they lose their internet connection, uh, or if they've been hacked. Uh, some jurisdictions are relying on uploading election results using cellular modems or uh, the internet. That, of course, introduces another point of vulnerability, not just to the data that's flowing, but also to the software, the devices that, uh, that are being connected. Um, uh, voting equipment itself, there are states that have rolled out touchscreen voting for all in-person voters. Uh, this is a, um, an unnecessary introduction of brittle and vulnerable technology. 
uh, many pieces of, elect of electronic technology that are involved in elections are either incorporate um, devices that were built overseas uh, or assembled overseas, and many crucial functions are being outsourced to foreign companies. Uh, one uh, noteworthy example that I'm especially concerned about, there is a Spanish firm uh, uh, called Seidel, uh, which runs, um, th they provide election reporting for something like 11 US states. Uh, they're based in Spain and they're bankrupt. Uh, so that could obviously is a point of failure where uh, someone could shed a lot of mistrust over the election results by simply falsifying what gets posted, even if the correct results could ultimately be recovered from durable, reliable records, that would certainly uh, cast a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt on what's going on. There have been ransomware attacks on uh, government systems, now including some voting systems. We know that there are cyber warfare attacks by Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. Um, there, most states' voter registration databases were uh, penetrated in 2016. There isn't a lot of ev evidence that data were changed, but that could certainly happen this time around. So all in all, there's a lot of confusion. There are a lot of points of vulnerability. There are a lot of known problems. There are some election vendors who have been hacked uh, before 2016. VR Systems was hacked in Florida. Some of their clients were, uh, there were phishing attacks against them. This time uh, around, um, uh, let's see, I've forgotten the name of it. Um, Tyler Technologies, which provides some uh, vote by mail ballot uh, tracking and some vote aggregation reporting has also been hacked. So overall, there's an awful lot that can go wrong. We saw no evidence of uh, tampering with uh, um, you know, voter, voting machines or uh, voter tallies. That's not to say it didn't happen. We just didn't see the, the evidence uh, of it. Well, there has been never a documented incident when votes have been changed during a real election. And my answer was, please continue using these machines and that will remain to be true forever. <laughs> because these machines don't have a capability of providing you forensic evidence to see if they cannot prove they were honest, they cannot prove that they were, have been hacked. They simply don't have the fundamental basic capabilities of providing you that forensic evidence, that data. Only way you can see that that machine was hacked if the attacker wanted to be found that it was hacked. That's a sad truth. So anyone who says, I have a information one way or another, that's an opinion, that's not fact-based. Fact is, it can be done without leaving trace. When you know how the systems work, looking for the evidence, you know that you won't find it because the systems are not recording, generating, preserving or protecting meaningful forensic evidence. And this is from the, from the very beginning to the end of the process everywhere. Uh, these systems really don't have a capability of recording and protecting any meaningful audit information or forensically important information. So a lot of times I would also argue that even if you try to take a look into the, uh, into the evidence, the problem is that there is no evidence which is trustworthy and, and worth analyzing. Even recently a case where a voting machine was reporting, and I believe that was in the last year in North Carolina, voting machine was in the race where they had 50,000 votes cast, was cast, uh, reporting to one candidate 164 or something like that votes. And when the paper was looked, that person actually get 26,000 votes and vote by, won by 1,000 votes. Wow. So we, we really need to have that paper ballot. Uh, 
there's nothing we don't have a technology to do electronic voting the problem the most most frightening thing is first of all from 2006 to now is nothing changed uh the actual same version of software i had 2005 is still in use it's those machines are still in 20 states mm. um so they're still around uh even the so-called new sold today is in end of life version of, of windows etc like just something which in no other industry would be acceptable, not even remotely acceptable. Uh, so I think the most, as overall, it is how outdated everything is and, and how hard it is to make people to understand the, the reality and, and get the warning through that this needs to be fixed or things will get really, really worse, uh, turn to worse. They're bad right now, but and I cannot even cannot imagine what the worst would be looking like. But they are not actually, a lot of these voting machines are not U.S. origin. And I'm not only talking about the components being made in China or the voting machine being assembled in, in the Philippines, but also the very brain of the machine, the programming. In many, many, many voting machines, that programming, no, either whole or in a large part, is coming from a foreign program code sources. And it seems to be the case that actually the voting machine vendors, generally speaking, either don't know or they refuse to tell the truth where the code actually comes from. And it turned out that the system he is using exactly the same system, which created this 16,022 votes in Volusia County for Al Gore. So I took a look into the system, uh, figured out a couple of ways to manipulate the central tabulator. But I told uh, Ion, it's, well, this is not elegant. Um, you leave an audit trail. You leave a evidence, the bed cr bed, uh, bread crumbles. You can trace it. And I was asking, well, if there, what is the elegant way? So I, have, I don't know if there's one, but it, if there is, it's got to be this memory card. So it's, so it's a memory card that fits into the voting machine that you found could be the more or less untraceable or hard to trace way to manipulate the results, whereas they were thinking it was something in the machine. You thought this was impossible because you would see a ton of evidence and, like you said, breadcrumbs being left by the tampering party. Well, it's, it's no, it's even it, not even that. Uh, I was just thinking about the architecture of the system. And with that architecture, it made sense that there's an executable program in the memory card. And I was quickly told that that's impossible because it's against the certified rules. But also the vendor was dishonest about the origin of the cards. Well, if they are not honest about one thing, they're probably not honest about the second thing. And I found an executable program on a memory card. I found it's, it's completely unprotected. And this, this memory card is so old, it's older than floppy drive. So it actually, I found it because I was, I remember that I have seen it before floppy drives existed. Uh, so that's why I found who was the original manufacturer of it. And a, a Interesting thing about this uh, explanation afterwards was that the minus sixteen thousand was mal malfunction of the memory card. That's the uh, that's the reason why it happened. Not possible. Uh, that reason why it's not possible is that that memory card doesn't know how to make negative numbers. So whatever caused that minus minus sixteen thousand votes, which we don't know what caused it. At least the official explanation given at the time, not possible. Something else happened. 
So everyone was focused in 2000 on the punch card machines and the problems that that brought. But in Volusia County, there was an incident that occurred. It didn't get a lot of attention. Um, and the attention that it did get sort of disappeared and, and got lost in all of the focus on the punch card machines. What happened in Volusia County was around uh, 10 p.m. midnight, or sorry, 10 p.m. Uh, on election night. Prior to that, Al Gore in Volusia County was ahead of George Bush. But around 10 p.m., suddenly uh, Al Gore's number started reversing, and it reversed more than 16,000 votes. And in fact, there aren't, um, uh, it was all happening in one precinct, and of course, there weren't 16,000 voters in that one precinct. So Gore's numbers were actually showing a negative 16,000 in that precinct. And the explanation that election officials provided was that uh, a faulty memory card was inserted into the tabulating machine. Now, it wasn't um, the, um, let's say, legitimate memory card. So there was one memory card for this precinct, and it was uploaded to the tabulator on election night. But the logs show that an hour after that memory card was uploaded, another second memory card for that same precinct was uploaded. And after that second card was uploaded, that's when the, um, the votes for Gore started disappearing. And no one has ever been able to explain what exactly happened with that, whether that was a rogue card that was intentionally designed to hack the votes and misfired and therefore um, uh, erased too many votes for Gore, or whether this was um, uh, you know, uh, a software mishap. But no one has explained why two memory cards for the same precinct were uploaded. And that's, that's sort of the main problem in terms of chains of custody, the fact that a second memory card was actually ever able to be uploaded. And John Kerry has expressed misgivings about the 2004 vote in Ohio. Yes, yeah, so um, they had concerns about the machines in Ohio. Uh, Ohio was uh, still largely using op um, punch card machines. They hadn't replaced theirs yet, but there were still counties, there were counties that were already using um, optical scan machines and also paperless DRE machines. And he and his group, he revealed this only recently, um, actually went to court to try and obtain the algorithms, the software, to look at the, the software uh, to make sure that it would be counting uh, votes accurately. And the courts uh, denied access to it because the proprietary software on voting machines is considered a trade secret. And so the private voting machine companies go to court to fight against this, and the courts generally agree with them. When I and others, when we 2005, 2006 got involved and up until 2008, we all thought, now when the problem has been exposed, it will be fixed very quickly. Uh, it, would, it was completely always incomprehensible for me and, and other secondary researchers that now 2020 we are talking about this topic and also we are 2020 using the same machines with the same software <laughs> it's just you wouldn't be using a, a 30 year old pc with, with no security patches but that's exactly how the elections are conducted let's talk about everything in the world how this works okay so you have a voting machines and voting terminals that's how you cast your ballot uh, either electronically or paper ballot it goes scanning and after that, these machines are reporting those results very often over, over communication lines to the central tabulator. Now, in both in the county level uh, or, or state level, where the votes are accumulated in database, uh, and along the path, there are a number of data storage uh, systems, databases. And if you manipulate those, uh, you can create an illusion of a, a different results. And you can even do it in the vote election reporting system. So instead of even hacking anything in the tabulator system, you are just creating wrong reporting. So there are a number of ways how you can, through this whole path, 
uh, influence the results. And we have to actually step even further back step, because if we look the election as whole, it's a myriad of systems. We have voter registration system. We have electronic poll book systems. We have the election management. We have the ballot casting. We have the tabulation and we have the reporting. Any of these, if you hack one of these, you can always hack the result. You can disfranchise voters so they can cast their ballot. You can change the, the outcome. You can change the reporting. Each of these needs to be secured. And none of these is less important than the others. And that's why we have been, I think in the public mind, we have been focusing in a very narrow area, which is you cast a ballot and how the ballot is counted, but not missing the whole big picture, how many other systems from a adversary, how, from attacker's point of view, where the attacker can go and achieve the same goal. About the internet, it really, it's everything is connected to internet, either directly or indirectly. And the more modern voting machines, they actually have a mobile phone modem in to speak. They have a they have a mobile phone over mobile phone connectivity to county headquarters. They are sending the results. So wireless is coming back to the voting machines in the newer generations. Nice marketing material trying to tell it's not, but it is. Uh, a journalist in a year ago, uh, she found 200 voting machines in the internet. Voting machine vendors say, well, they are not in the internet because they are not pingable. My answer to that is, are you from the past? Because since, since 15 years ago, nothing is really anymore pingable. And they are still connected to internet. It's the, the whole argument is 15 years. That argument was to have been meaning something 15 years ago. It doesn't mean anything today. And again, uh, I, I just came from Atlanta and, and they have new voting machines because the judge ordered the old ones to be scrapped. And part of the things in the, the judge's uh, ruling was that uh, the finding was that the voting machines were programmed by basically three guys from their homes and who sent all the programming of the voting machines for next election over internet to be distributed to all the machines. Oh, so these guys had programmed the machines from home and then they, they pushed the code update to the voting machines via the internet. We, they said they pushed it to the state and then the state pushed it to the counties. And actually this whole thing about uh, the critical election specific programming Going over internet is very common because a lot of this programming is done by private companies, uh, third-party companies, election management companies. And it's uh, it has been shocking in the last two years when I've been working for a number of secretaries of state and looking how the security is done in their state just to find that email, uh, FTP with no security. Uh, these are the common methods to send the most mission-critical programming from the private company, which might be out of state, to the local county who is putting it into the machines. And it is whoever controls that data controls the election. And these machines, they like you said, they have network cards. You show in Kill Chain, again, the documentary that we'll link in the show notes, that they have USB ports, they have memory card slots, they have modems and phone jacks sometimes. So these things were built for connectivity. They're not immune to connectivity. And we don't, by the same, seemingly, we don't have to hack hundreds of machines these are networked you can just make software that infects one and then dozens of others or just changes the data do you think we could is it possible so do you think it's possible that we could create a worm that it get we get on one machine in a voting center and it just connects to the other machines covertly and infects them without the bad actor so much as laying a hand on the machine themselves the real uh, proof of concept virus was demonstrated over 10 years ago so 
uh, that that already has been demonstrated publicly that voting machine virus, which can uh, self-propagate from one voting machine to another, that's a reality which we have shown it's possible. And so, and, and that's one of the things why that was created was because, again, when you say it's possible by showing the vulnerability, people said, well, I don't believe until you show it. So it's one of the rare things where uh, a team of researchers developed then the actual virus just to show the logical outcome of the, the the vulnerability. Yes, there can be a voting machine virus. We'll stop. Here it is. We've heard a lot from voting machine vendors and election officials that voting machines can't be hacked because they're not connected to the internet. All of those vulnerabilities that Andrew talked about um, are not a problem because no one can access the machines. And it turns out that that message that they've been giving us for years, and particularly after the 2016 election, just isn't true. Voting machine vendors have sold uh, election officials on uh, these in use of modems. In some cases, the modems are embedded inside the voting machines. In another case, they're external modems that get attached to the voting machine at the end of the election. So at the end of the election, the machine goes into shutdown mode, and then this option pops up about modeming results. And so the system will automatically then dial in and send these uh, votes um, over a cellular modem uh, to a server on the internet that collects the results. So everyone will tell you, and they've told me every time I've spoken with them, that cellular modems are not really internet connectivity. They will say, that doesn't mean that the machine is connected to the internet, it's using a cellular modem. Well, that's not true. And election systems and software, which is the top voting machine maker in the country, um, this is one of their statements over and over again with the public. But this is one of their own diagrams that they actually gave to Rhode Island in 2015. And if you see that circular part in the center there showing that, that modem transmission using a wireless modem, they sit there right there. It's on their own diagram that it's going over the internet. So what happens is that the transmission of the votes, votes uh, the, the voting machine will dial in using the cellular modem and it uh, contacts the nearest cell tower. And then the data goes through that cell tower into the carrier's backend network. But then the data actually has to get to that county network and it goes over the internet to a system, a server that's on the internet to receive those votes. So we've already now basically shown the misinformation of the transmission of those votes. So ESNS will then say, well, it doesn't matter because all of that process is secured. So the transmission of the votes are secured so that no one can intercept them and read the votes or alter them. Um, the modem is configured in such a way so that no one can actually dial into the modem. It can only dial out, and it can only dial out when the machine shuts down at the end of the election. Uh, so apparently there are all of these safeguards. And also the backend system that receives the transmitted votes is supposed to communicate only with uh, one of those authenticated machines with a modem. The problem is none of this has been tested or certified. The voting machines themselves go through sort of a federal testing uh, lab process and through certification. The modem transmissions don't. So we don't know what's inside those modems. We don't know how they work. We don't know how they're configured. And ESNS doesn't have a good track record on uh, implementing security. So we don't actually know that the way that they are saying that these are transmitted securely is actually the case. So what can happen uh, with a modem a machine that's transmitting? So I don't know if you're familiar with something called a st 
Stingray. It's a device that law enforcement uses and the military uses. And what it does is it, um, uh, it um, masquerades as a legitimate cell tower. It transmits a much more powerful signal than the nearby uh, cell tower so that your cell phone will connect to the Stingray instead of the cell tower. And then it might pass it on to the cell tower as well. Uh, it's mostly used for tracking phones, but there are also Stingrays that are designed also to intercept the content of communication. So if you've got a cellular modem in a voting machine, a rogue person can uh, put a rogue cell tower near some kind of voting uh, 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 precinct, whatever. And instead of that modem then connecting to that cell tower, it can, they can connect to that rogue uh, the rogue cell tower. Um, you can intercept data. If it's not properly encrypted, you could intercept the data and change the results, or you could basically swap out the whole package of results if it's not authentically mm -hmm. signed um, and replace it with your own package of results. And so those go on to the server. If there's a vulnerability in that modem, a hacker can actually transmit malware back onto that voting machine through the rogue cell tower. And once you're in that uh, voting machine, either that way or maybe you've gotten into the voting machine prior when it's being programmed, you now actually control the configuration of that modem. So even if ESNS says that modem will only work at the end of the election and will only call out and not receive calls in, if you control the configuration of that modem, you change all of that. You can have that machine contact your system at any time you want for however you want so that you can do reconnaissance on that machine and study it and uh, establish your, your, your attack. There were a group of researchers that decided that they would try and see if they could find those back-end servers that receive the votes that are transmitted by modem. So if you've got something that's transmitting the votes over the cellular network, um, there's something that has to be connected to the internet to receive them. So there is a server. And it turns out that they could actually, based on configuration information that's publicly available on the internet, that the voting machine vendors provide to election offices and the election offices post on the internet, um, they, they describe the type of uh, uh, firewall that they use. It's made by Cisco. They describe the type of FTP software that receives the votes that sits on that server. Um, they describe the whole configuration, including the type of cellular modem that's embedded in their machines. So, ooh. so based on that information, and, um, they decided to see if they could look for that very specific footprint of ESNS machines that are receiving the votes. And they did a scan and they were able to find these systems on the internet. So they found nine Wisconsin counties that had systems connected to the internet, seven Florida counties, and um, four Michigan counties. They actually found uh, systems in 10 different states, but these were the primary ones. And of course, these are all important uh, critical swing states. Um, so. Here's the thing, election officials will tell you, well, the modem transmissions don't matter because we only turn on those modems for a very brief period, less than a minute at the end of the election to transmit. And that's not sufficient time for someone to hack. Uh, any of the technical experts on this panel will tell you that a, mi a minute is more than sufficient to actually hack that machine. But more importantly, it turns out these systems aren't just connected for a few minutes after an election. Those backend systems that receive the votes are um, quite often connected year round. Uh, you can see them when they're doing the scans, you can sometimes see them, they come up a couple of weeks, some of the ones that are only uh, up temporarily will sometimes come up a couple of weeks before the election because they want to test the transmission, and then they leave it on for uh, those weeks before the election, and after the election they might forget to take it down and it might stay up a couple of other weeks. But there are some that simply never take them down at all, and Wisconsin was one of them, they were on year round. These systems, so what are they? I, I describe this as a server, but it, that sounds kind of benign. Um, 
Um, what is happening is that the system, the votes are being transmitted, uh, and the on the receiving end, there's a firewall that's connected to the internet, and behind the firewall, there is this FTP server that the data, the votes are transmitted on. Now, the, that FTP server is supposed to serve as kind of like a DMZ, um, a safe zone, right? So the votes are deposited, and there's supposed to be then no direct connection to the system that actually tabulates the votes. But it turns out that's not the case at all. This is a diagram that ES that ESNS created and handed out to election officials. And so you can see that the votes are coming over the internet, that cloud, and they're coming, and there's the firewall, and then you see all those wires connected, and you see at the bottom there that EMS. That's the election management system. That is the system that tabulates the final results. So even though they say that, that that transmission of votes over the internet is just unofficial, connected to that system that's receiving those unofficial votes is, is also the system that is tabulating the official results. What's more, that election management system is also used to program all the voting machines prior to an election. So when um, I brought this to ESNS's attention, they didn't then uh, say that nothing is connected to the internet. What they said was none of those critical systems are pingable from the internet because there's a firewall in front. So essentially what they're saying is that even though now these, first they've said that none of these systems are connected to the internet. And now when they, they're they're faced with someone saying, well, they actually are connected to the internet. They say, well, they may be configured uh, in some manner that you're showing, but there's a firewall in front of them, and you, they, therefore you can't see. Uh, you can't see what's behind the firewall. But if you can find the firewall, then you find the systems that are behind the firewall. The only thing that's protecting anyone from getting into those uh, critical systems behind the firewall are the rules of that firewall that say uh, only these certain systems can connect to us, only these certain systems can, uh, can transmit data. Those are, that's simply software. It's configuration rules. And if you misconfigure that software, then anything can get into that firewall. And of course, many, many hacks happen because firewalls are misconfigured. I was part of the team that did the first hands-on study of any electronic voting machine used in the US, and it was using exactly this machine. And, and what we found, well, we, we, we got one of these machines from a whistleblower, brought it into a laboratory, reverse engineered it, and well, here, here's the result of what we found. We, we would run a mock election with uh, George Washington and Benedict Arnold, just like this, and um, wanted to know, well, if an attacker could get malicious software into the machine somehow, could they change the results? And what we found after reverse engineering the machine was, well, yeah, there are actually a lot of problems with it. All the records of the vote are contained in, um, in computer memory, and um, an attacker can manipulate the software that's supposed to be running in the machine in a, in a pretty straightforward way before every election. Um, officials program the machine with the names of the candidates on the ballot by uh, installing some programming with a, a removable memory card. If, if the attacker can infect the card, well, um, there are a number of different ways that they can change the software running in the machine. There are uh, unauthenticated software update mechanisms, there are buffer overflows in the code that reads the data files from this. There's even an interpreted programming language, and the rules for how the votes will be counted are contained in an unauthenticated program contained on the memory card. So through any of those means, an attacker can change the software running on the voting machine and cause the machine to produce whatever election results they want. 
So that was in about 2007, we, um, we, we published the first paper about this. In subsequent security studies of the same machine and other ones, um, researchers have found dozens of critical vulnerabilities and buffer overflows and so forth. There have been hundreds and hundreds of pages of technical reports about US voting machines like this. But even after that, these same identical machines that I showed you, this same model, is still used in parts of 18 states. And in most of those states, they haven't even updated the software since before the studies I talked about. That's how bad it is. And it's not even just a single model of machine that's the only problem. Um, across the country, there are about 52 different models of machines. They, they fall into essentially two styles, ones that scan a piece of paper or ones where the, vote, uh, the voter just interacts with the touch screen. And many of them have been analyzed now by researchers uh, looking for security vulnerabilities. In every single case where a US voting machine has been analyzed by, by competent security researchers, they have found vulnerabilities that would let someone inject malicious software, and change election data. Every single case. Before every election, election officials have to program the voting machines with who's on the ballot and what are the rules for counting. Well, they make that election programming on a PC workstation somewhere, either at the, uh, uh, at the jurisdiction or at an outside vendor that does it for them. If an attacker can break into that workstation, which is called an election management system, they can spread malicious code to all of the memory cards used to program all of the voting machines in the jurisdiction. And those election management system workstations sometimes are connected to the internet, or, uh, or the data that's programmed into them passes through an internet-connected system. So we're just one or two hops away from an online attacker. Now, how well secured are these systems? Well, here's um, a vendor that did the election programming for uh, uh, a large fraction of my state in 2016. And we can just take a look at their website to see how, how secure this is likely to be. You can see, first of all, they don't have any HTTPS. Um, here are lots of nice high-resolution photographs of their warehouse in case you want to break in. Um, and perhaps most interestingly, here's their employee directory with everyone's name, job title, email address, and photograph. So if I wanted to break into this company, let's say I was the attacker, I'd probably start by forging an email from, let's say, Larry, the president here, to Sue, his administrative assistant, asking her to urgently open an attachment. Now, of course, when she does, that attachment has my malware in it. I have a, a, a foothold into their network, and I can try to spread from there to the election management system and to the voting machines in most of the state. Tampering with the national election result in my country is easier than, well, easier than even I thought in 2016. I keep learning things that convince me that the situation is scarier than, uh, than, than even experts had thought. You identify the states that are most weakly protected and going to be close, target the computers that are going to program voting machines there, spread malware to machines to change a fraction of the votes, and then rely on the fact that most states, even if they have a paper record, are not going to rigorously use it to check that the computers are right.
But the fact is that in close national contests in the U.S., the result really only hinges on the result in a small number of states. You've heard about the swing states in any given election, the ones that are uh, really competitive. In such a situation, an attacker can, before the election, identify which states are likely to be close, try probing all of them in the way that the Russians did the voter registration systems in 2016, and just find the weakest swing states and attack there. So in this way, the American system converts um, uh, diversity of implementation into basically this patchwork of strength and weakness that gives attackers a menu of possible places to strike. It makes us weaker in close elections. So just to review, um, you look at the polls before the election and figure out which states were likely to be close, probe all of them, find the ones with the weakest protection. Then hack into the uh, election management systems there or at the outside vendors the states use. Once you hack into the election management system, you can spread malicious code to individual voting machines and have your code say swap 10% of the votes in the places you infected. Then even if the votes are also recorded on a piece of paper, you don't have to worry because in most of those states, they're going to just toss the paper out without looking at it. Modems in voting machines are a bad idea. Those modems are network connections and that leaves them vulnerable to hacking by anybody who can connect to that network. ESNS insists while there are 14,000 of its modems in use, there are firewalls separating those modems from the public internet. Once a hacker starts talking to the voting machine through the modem, they can hack the software in the voting machine and make it cheat in future elections. What is the vehicle for the transmission from the ICP? Is it cellular modem versus VPN? Uh, well, it is a cellular modem that be, can be configured in a VPN, right? And we currently in Chicago Cook County, we work with Verizon to um, secure that network. What wireless chipset slash modem does the hardware have? Uh, we support a variety. Um, so uh, it's really up to the jurisdictions, what technology they want to use, what's compatible with their with their networks. Currently in some jurisdictions we're using uh, uh, basically a modem that is a 3D modem, GSM, uh, but we can support multiple varieties of modems that can be. Including, including latest 4G standards as well. So the answer is the next question, is it 3G or 4G? Verizon, AT or T or Sprint, I'm assuming all? Oh uh, yeah, all, all networks. Right. Um, Point of fact, yeah, I mean, uh, we actually transmit from the ICP in Mongolia as well, so um, we're not limited in networks. And in Puerto Rico, there's three vendors because the island is not covered by any by any of the vendors completely. So we use three different cellular vendors for some ICPs with this vendor: Claro, AT and T, and T-Mobile, I think, in the different parts of the island. So. More modern voting machines—they actually have a mobile phone modem in to speak they have a they have a mobile phone over mobile phone connectivity to county headquarters they are sending the results some jurisdictions are relying on uploading election results using cellular modems or uh, the internet that of course introduces another point of vulnerability not just to the data that's flowing but also to the software the devices that uh, that are being connected Many of these voting machines have modems embedded into them. And the modems are used at the end of the election to transmit the vote totals on election night to the county um, elections office. So these modems contact their cellular modems and they contact the cellular network, they contact the cell tower. 
Um, so the cell tower traffic these days in our modern times actually goes through internet. It goes through the same kinds of routers and switches that the regular internet traffic goes to. But also um, in between that cell tower and that voting machine, uh, an intruder can uh, intercept data going to the cell tower.